Today's reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 12 to 20. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other things a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is the word of God. Thanks, Avi. Um, Glennis, for praying. If you can turn to chapter 6 and keep it open, um, I'm sure that'll help you as we go through it. Um, it's uh, also a weighty topic and weighty subject, so let's make sure that uh, we're listening from God's Word. So do take it out, but let's pray um, as we start. Lord, we thank you for your Word. Lord, we pray that you'll shape uh, not only how we think about uh, things, but how we live, um, how uh, that it might change the way that we obey you, how we um, live for you. Help us to honor you with our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you've seen this slogan um, there, my body, my choice. It's a slogan that's often used to defend the rights uh, for abortion. And for many people, they say this because it's instinctively sort of powerful uh, message, right? I mean, it rings true. My body should be my, uh, my choice. I should have power to decide what I should do with my body. I mean, after all, what do I own if I don't own my own body? My body actually makes up who I am, my, you know, what you see, that's me, isn't it? And so they say, well, uh, my body, then it should be my choice. Abortion, well, my body, it's my choice. It should be my decision. Sex, well, consent is really all that matters in our culture. And we say, with the consent, I should be able to decide with whom or when, because it's my body. A well, problem with that, uh, there are many problems with this, but one of the problems that Paul points to here is that actually this isn't true. Our bodies are not our own. Take a look at where we will eventually end up in verse 18. He says, you, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We're not our own. Our bodies do not ultimately belong to us. God has purchased 
us, our bodies, with the price of his blood. Our bodies are not our own. It belongs to Jesus, and we are to honor God with our bodies. There's one surprise about our bodies, and there are lots of things that uh, will surprise us um, here uh, that, that Paul says uh, about our bodies that will surprise us, that will help us to guide, that will guide us uh, through the, the, the uh, sexual ethics or to see where sex fits in in our world. Did you know that you are uh, profoundly bodily, um, that you will have eternal bodies did you know that our bodies are, our physical bodies are members of Christ himself, that our physical bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? These are things that Paul affirms. And I hope the conclusion is obvious, that we need to honor God with our bodies. I wonder if you ever wanted to escape, though, from your body. Maybe you don't like how it looks. I don't want this. You just want to escape. You want to become soul and freed from the limitations of the body as well. Maybe you're getting a bit older and frailer and getting sick more often. You think, I'm sick of this body. I want to escape um, from it. If you think this way, actually there are lots of people who have thought this, and it goes all the way back to the ancient Greece as well. Ancient Greeks thought that they were souls imprisoned in their bodies, and they wanted to escape. Plato is famous for this. And one writer calls his body a tomb and himself a poor soul shackled to a corpse. That was the view then amongst many Corinthian Christians in that church as well. They had a very low view of their bodies. Take a look at verse 13. Food for the stomach and stomach for food. God will destroy them both, they say. They said, well, it doesn't really matter, really, what you do with your bodies because in the end, won't God just destroy our bodies anyway, right? Um, our body is not who we are. It's incidental. It's not essential to who I am. And so they thought, it doesn't matter what you do. If you want to eat, eat. If you want to have sex, sex. What really matters is your spiritual health, your soul, how you are there. In many ways, that's what the culture says too. The transgender movement actually is sort of based on this idea, isn't it? The, the transgender movement says the real you has nothing to do with your bodies. If you, the real you, thinks that you are a man, well, it doesn't matter what your physical body says about you. That's not the real you, right? The, our, who you are is almost sort of divorced from the body that God has given us. They say the body tells us nothing about who we are. Our culture also tells us once again that sex is just a bodily appetite. It has no importance, really. It's not that significant. If you want to have, have sex, have sex. That's the low view of our bodies. But in the church, in the Corinthian church, it wasn't just a low view of their bodies that gave rise to sexual immorality. It was also misunderstanding of their Christian freedom, what it means to be free in Christ. And it's, also, it's absolutely true that Paul taught everywhere that if you become a Christian, if you turn to Christ, you are freed from the laws, the Old, Old Testament laws. You are free, he taught. Corinthians, though, misunderstood that freedom by responding in this way in verse 12. Well, I have the right to do anything now. I have the right to do anything, don't I? Uh, 
Jesus has forgiven my sins. He has brought us this to, to, to this new era. And so the Old Testament laws have nothing to do with me, they were saying. And they were probably, once again, happy to apply this to how they do, uh, view their bodies. Because once again, they thought, well, it's, just, it's going to get, be gotten rid of anyway. The end result was Corinthian Christians going to probably temple prostitution, temples, prostitutes having sex, thinking that was perfectly fine. I'm free in Christ. What does it matter what I do with my bodies? with my body. I've heard a modern version of this not that long ago, actually. Somebody told me, well, Jesus has given us a new command, hasn't he? He told us to love our neighbor, love God and love our neighbor. Isn't that all that matters? It doesn't, it, love, isn't that all that matters to us? As long as I love my boyfriend, as long as I love my girlfriend, well, sex is fine, isn't it? It's an expression of love. Isn't that the only thing that matters. Paul responds in verse 12, if you say, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial, he writes. And the second is even more stern. He says, I, if you say, I have the right to do anything, he says, well, I will not be mastered. I will not be mastered by anything. Well, what does that mean? He's saying that if you have sex with prostitute, if you're driven to sex outside of God's design, which is in marriage, if we express our Christian freedom in this way, he's saying it's not freedom that you're expressing. What you're expressing is your slavery to lust. The lust that drives you to this brothel, lust that drives you outside of God's design, you're being mastered by that lust. You're being enslaved by that desire. You're not being free. You're not expressing your freedom because Christian freedom is freedom from sin, not to sin. It's power not to sin. That's the essence of the Christian freedom. We're freed from that desire, he writes. And more fundamentally, Paul says, it matters. It matters what you do with your bodies because our bodies are not just incidental to us. It's essential to us. It will not just be destroyed. It will somehow live on because human beings are through and through bodily beings. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them with bodies, physical bodies that makes them Adam and Eve. Of course, he had to breathe his spirit in them, but only then when those two things were united, body and soul, when there was sort of psychosomatic unity, right, they became a living, breathing human being. We're one being, spirit and the, the, soul, the body together. Our bodies are not incidental to us. It is who we are. So it wasn't just Adam and Eve were created with bodies. We won't just be destroyed. Verse 14, Paul reminds us that we will also be raised. Our ultimate destiny is not free-floating spirits, you know, going time, you know, time traveling or something. Uh, we will have bodies. We will be finite beings and we will have bodies just as Jesus was raised. With the same power, God will raise each one of us with new bodies that's, bef that's fit for the new creation. There's more explanation of that resurrection body in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In chapter 15, but the point is, as writer Oz Guinness puts it, 
he writes it like this. Our, our bodies are not dispensable in the ultimate sense. They are the raw material of a more glorious creation. Your bodies are the raw material for more glorious creation that will come when Jesus comes back. You know, when Jesus comes back, I will receive new bodies. Will it be a completely different body? Well, probably not. Actually, because you will recognize me as me. I'll be recognizable just as we were able to recognize Jesus. You all will be recognizable in a body that's similar to yours right now. You will be given a new body. A body that's glorious, that's fit for the new creation. But there will be discontinuity, but there will be continuity as well. But the point is, we can just then do whatever we want with our bodies. They're not incidental to us. Our bodies aren't then meant for sexual immorality, he writes in verse 13. But for the Lord, our bodies are for the Lord. Verse 13, he, he, he says it again, the Lord is for the body. What does that mean? The Lord is for the body. I don't know exactly what he means, but my guess is that our bodies, just as the Holy Spirit lives in us right now, our bodies through and through in the new creation, God's glory, our Lord will soak <laughs> in our bodies. We'll be soaked in God's glory. We'll be the receptacles of God's glory, not just in our soul, but in our bodies as well. Therefore, our obedience to the Lord has to involve our bodies now, not just through the thought or through spirit. Let me quote Oz Guinness, who puts it so well. It is our bodies, which are instruments either, evil, either for evil or for good. It is our bodies that Paul urges us to present to God as a living sacrifice. Obedience or disobedience are expressed in our bodies or they are expressed nowhere. Obedience for, Christ, for the Christian is a body activity. God does not address us purely as minds or emotions or wills, but as people with bodies. His concern is not for abstract acts like adultery in theory or immorality in theory, but his concern is for the whole person who does these actions. Obedience for the Christian is a bodily activity. We need to obey with our bodies of our Lord. How does your love for Jesus get expressed in your body? Do you worship? Do you come, do you come regularly to worship God? I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here, literally, but um, do, do we come and worship God regularly? Do we pray? Do we make the time, you know, not just to think about what we will do, do we make the time to read the scripture? How does our love for our neighbors get expressed? Do we spend time with them? Do we eat with them? Do we care for them? When they wrong us, do we forgive them? Right? And once again, do we reconcile? Does, does your obedience of, of Jesus, does your love for God and, and your neighbors extend to how you live, how you physically behave? Because they should. Because we're bodily beings. But in particular, we should focus on what Paul focuses on here, which is sex. What we do with our bodies in, in this area. 
And Paul has thus far told us we can't just disregard sex as something that is just physical and not really, does, doesn't have any meaning or significance because he's saying we are spiritual but also bodily beings. But he goes on to say sex is important. It matters great because what sex does to us and what it also then does to Jesus. Look at how Paul builds this case. So Christians are, well, yep. First, he tells us that Christians are united with Christ in verse 15, that our bodies are members of Christ. I mean, think about how striking that is. He didn't say that you are members of Christ. He says, your bodies are members of Christ. In verse 19, he says, your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. It's our physical bodies that are receptacle of God's glory, that are united with Christ himself. And then he goes on to tell us what sex means. Sex creates unity between two people. Verse 16, do you not know that he who unites himself with the prostitute is one with her in body? And then he quotes uh, Genesis 2.24, for it is said the two will become one flesh. When we have sex, it creates unity. It creates a union in a way that God has intended for a married couple in a special way. But I should say, it's not, it doesn't mean that when you have sex outside of marriage that it creates this de facto marriage. No, it's not that, because marriage involves more than sex. Um, it, it involves public um, giving of oneself in front of God and with others and all those other things. But he is trying to point out that if we use sex this way, it's a gross misuse of God's design uh, for something that creates union, that it's something that is sacred and reserved for marriage. And therefore, he says, if sex creates this sort of union, then if we have sex outside of marriage with a prostitute, what we're, saying, what we're bringing is that prostitute is being united to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit, to all the sinfulness that entails. And what Paul is saying is that's repulsive. We should not do that. You see, sex is a profound God-ordained act that unites two people as one. That's why it's reserved for the likes of Adam and Eve, people who stand in front of God and in front of others and say, actually, I'm going to give up my independence. I'm not going to just care for myself as if I am it. I'm going to give myself wholly to this other person and the two who I and my, uh, my wife or my spouse will become one in God. And sex then is given as, as something that creates that union and that maintains that union. This is how Pastor Tim Keller puts it. You must never get physically naked and vulnerable with someone without becoming vulnerable in your whole life. You must not become physically vulnerable and hold on to your independence. You must become legally, economically, socially, emotionally, in every way committed. You must give up your independence. And only when you have, only when you have become one, can you also become one flesh. And that's the only way that verse 18 makes sense. All other sins, he says, a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. What does that mean? 
And because there are other sins that you, you can make a case for as sin against your own body, like self-harming. It's not a sin against my own body, or gluttony, or suicide um, even. You can make case for other sins, but he says, actually, this sin is the only one that sins against your own body. And that's only understandable if you understand this one body in verse 18 as this one body that's created, right? Uh, in sex, in union of husband and wife. And when that happens, and when you have sex outside of that union, it is a sin against that body, that one special union that God has created. In fact, this is then the reason, basis, behind most Christian prohibitions against sex outside of marriage, bestiality, adultery, premarital sex, all those things. Before marriage, there's no true oneness. There's no true giving of oneself and that's, God has then, uh, so there should be no one fleshness either. When I was uh, 13 or 14, I remember my parents had the talk <laughs> with me. And uh, uh, to be honest, it really was not done very well. <laughs> like I had no idea that it was coming. We're eating dinner together and all of a sudden my dad would s sat down and said, so he, <laughs> and then I don't remember much about that conversation because, and the thing that I remember most is the awkwardness that ensued afterwards. I mean, it was really awkward. But you know, I want to say, at least my parents tried. <laughs> to have that talk, um, because it's important to have that talk. And many Asian families, it's just never talked about. In many families in general, it's just never talked about. And I don't know when the ideal time to have that talk is. Every family will be different, every kid will be different, every parents will be different. But parents, if you're a parent, please do have that talk with your children. Because if we don't talk about it, if we don't instruct our children, our children will get their ideas from TV, from their friends, from pornography that's so widely ab abundant out there, and that will shape their view of what sex is. And it's dangerous. The culture says there's nothing wrong with premarital sex. The culture says pornography is just uh, harmless fun. Um, uh, the culture says having multiple uh, sexual partners is a status symbol. There are all sorts of harmful things out there. And it's not just for children, it's for all of us. Friends, do not take your cue from the culture. I remember once, I, you know, I, I, I've had uh, one, I guess, major breakup, but I've broken up many times once uh, with uh, uh, my previous, um, in my previous relationship. I remember when I broke up with this person, um, I, I remember watching friends and like taking dating tips from friends. That's not a good place <laughs> to take And it's much worse. And then we do that, don't we? When there isn't enough instruction out there, we take our cues from the culture, from whatever we watch and see. Friends, take your cue from the scripture. Take God's instruction that's given to you for your flourishing. Listen to God's word. But often when the subject of sex comes up, people ask, well, what's permissible then? I mean, what can I get away with? Right? 
And first, that's a difficult thing to answer. I think because one, the scripture does not give like this is okay, but this is not okay, right? That's not what uh, what it does. Uh, but it's also, I think people are different too, right? Uh, I think I think it's a little bit like drinking. Some people get drunk after one beer. Uh, some people drink like three, four, and it doesn't seem to affect them at all. And I'm sure it's something like that with our sexual. Um, uh, 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 um, with uh, our sexual proclivities um, as well. It, so some people, you know, I, um, yeah, sorry. Um, anyway, we might be, we're built differently, we might be used to different things, but the point is, it, it's not good to try to go, what can I get away with? Take a look at what Paul actually says in verse uh, 18. Flee from sexual immorality. He says, flee from sexual immorality. I don't know when that line comes, you know, if it's holding hands or it's kissing or whatever it is. I don't know when that line comes for you, but when that line drives you towards more sexual immorality, flee from it. Don't just stay there. Don't just think, well, I can just get away with this. Flee from sexual immorality. When Potiphar, uh, Potiphar's wife came to seduce Joseph, Joseph didn't go, well, she looks pretty and she's a powerful woman, so I'll stick around a little bit and see what happens. Right? He didn't want to sin. He wanted to honor God, so he fled. He fled from immorality. Friends, this is a command because crossing the line is unthinkable until it becomes almost inevitable. When two Christians start to date, often, often they do not go thinking, oh, sex is totally fine. This is what my goal is in this relationship. They don't think that way. But, you know, you start holding hands, you start kissing, and you, crossing, you start crossing lines that you didn't think that you were, you were going to cross. And then you do it a bit more, you push the line a bit more, until sex becomes just a, another small step that you've taken amongst many other steps that you have taken before. Flee from sexual immorality. No Christian goes from being happily married to adultery in one big leap, right? Uh, it's all in small steps that leads you there. What's the harm in flirting with my colleague? I mean, uh, working together in this big pro we've been working together, why, why don't we just go out for dinner? Uh, uh, why don't I just open myself up a little bit and talk about the, uh, the, the, my marriage and my family? And you grow more and more intimate with this person until it becomes a possibility that you would have never considered months before. Flee from sexual immorality. And as far, we've been talking about sex outside of marriage, but the word in verse 18 is actually porneia. It's not just sex outside of marriage. It's, a, it's, it's sort of it's the word that come that, that um, where we get the word pornography. Um, we would be remiss if we didn't address this topic directly. That is an issue that affects so many of us. And some say, once again, what's the harm in this? I just watch in the privacy of my own home. After all, it's not real. It's fantasy. But of course, it is real for the actors on the screen. 
it is very real for the people who are being taken advantage of and degraded as just mere sexual objects day in and day out. For many, many people, it is, this industry is very real. It harms many, many people. And also, it has this addictive quality, right? We think, oh, just looking at it once, well, that won't hurt. Well, that becomes twice, that becomes three times, that becomes uh, something that, that, become, uh, that, 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 has, that we become dependent on. More one looks at it, more we're mastered by it, as Paul puts it, more we're enslaved to it. Porn, for many people also, is unfortunately a, a small step, the beginning of that path that leads to many other kinds of sexual immorality. Friends, Flee from sexual immorality. And I want to stress that it is important, as Paul stresses it here, it is important, sexual purity is important, but as we come towards the end, I want to state unequivocally that this isn't the defining issue in Christianity. This isn't the defining issue of Christian morality either. It's one amongst many. Your faith... Your standing before God does not fall or stand with your, with your obedience in this one issue. All of us, no matter your sexual experience, no, no, all of us here are sexually fallen. We have desires that are not holy. All of us are only pure. All of us are only righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what I find so amazing about this text. Because remember, whom Paul is talking to, those who are sleeping with prostitutes now. And look at what he calls them. And look at, note the tense here, your bodies are members of Christ. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. Christ is there with them. The Holy Spirit lives in them. The Spirit didn't leave when this man had sex with the prostitute. Despite his action, he still remains a member of Christ's body. The Holy Spirit still made his home in him. Now, of course, there were some misunderstandings and, and things, and so Paul, empowered by God's Spirit, speaks God's word to this church so that he may correct the church. And if they don't repent, if they don't declare war against this sin, right, that would be quite a different story, as we've heard a couple of weeks back. But now, what I find so amazing is that Christ says he remained in the body of this man. So friends, as we end, I want you to know that I'm not here to condemn your past or present failings or future sins. I can't do that without condemning myself, but I am here to remind you. Friends, your bodies are members of Jesus Christ. Your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Your bodies are not your own. Jesus bled for you. Jesus purchased you with your blood. So therefore, friends, honor God with your bodies. Let's pray. Thank mm -hmm. you.
Lord, we thank you for this passage that speaks to the preciousness of our bodies and how you sent your son and bled real blood to purchase our real bodies. Lord, we give our bodies to you. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Empower us. Help us to remember the goodness of our bodies. Help us to remember how good it is, how precious our bodies are to you, that we might honor you with our bodies. Lord, for those of us who need to flee from our sexual temptations, Lord, we pray that you will help us to do that, that you will empower us in our bodies to do that, and help us to be a church that reminds each other of the goodness of the gospel, of the goodness of our bodies, that we might live our lives um, in holiness, that we might uh, offer our bodies as a living sacrifice um, to you. We thank you that you are at work, and we pray that the word that has gone out, your word that has gone out, whatever that is true and good, will continue to work in your people, to bring life in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.